Hello and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, January 17th, 2014. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere using open web standards like HTML, CSS, JavaScript, REST, and JSON. This week, we discuss the tools we use to get our jobs done on a daily basis. Command line utilities, browser plugins, text editors, project management, and more. Please stay tuned. The Niche Podcast is next. Good evening. Good evening. <laughs> How's it going? So you're fighting, you're, you're fighting off a cold? Yeah, my whole, like everybody in the house. It started with Cooper. He's had a sniffle for a month. And mm-hmm. now it sounds like we live in a slay stack den. <laughs> Everybody's just like. <laughs> yeah. We uh, we got a phone call from a friend of ours uh, earlier this evening. A, a friend who was over for dinner Friday night, and she was like, "She goes, um, you've all had chicken pox or been vaccinated for them, right?" <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going, yeah, "I have, but many, many, many years ago." Uh-huh. Uh huh. That's a yeah. fun phone call to make. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, so hopefully, and I mean, I don't know. I felt kind of run down the past day or two, but I think it's from lack of sleep. So. Right. It's tough to tell what that rundown feeling comes from these days. It is. It is. It's 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 just constant. So it's called getting old. Yeah. <laughs> it's like my father always says, "Getting old sucks, but it's better than the alternative." Yeah, that's true. <laughs> You know, I mean, everyone told me after 30, it's all downhill. And, and what did I do on my 30th birthday? I spent it in the hospital having emergency surgery. Uh, fun. So we have a super fun show for you today, dear listener. We do. Oh, but a housekeeping. Do we want to mention Hue Panel first? Yes. So uh, that is, yes, that's perfect. Let's start with housekeeping and give everyone an update on Hue Panel. Go for yes, it. Yes, it is. It is <laughs> I was in the middle of drinking water. Ready, go. <laughs> yeah, one minute, go. Um, we added favorites. Um, so, so you can, yay, to, to hughpanel.com. So you can go there and you can uh, save your save your light settings to, to a, a list of favorites. And then you can, you can pull them up and, and set your lights. It is now my official favorite hue control application yes mine too that was that was the thing it was missing Mm -hmm. and dear listener in case you're wondering they are synced to a database online so and and associated with the id on your base station so you or anyone who is on your local network can go to hughpanel.com and have access to those favorites yeah that's right you could come over to my house and pull up my list of of light settings couldn't you yes which is actually perfect because Uh, yeah if you have house guests and they're staying in the room with the lights, they can just go to a URL and mess with them to their heart's content. That's that's really cool. I like that. Yeah, it's great. It's super practical. Yeah, and I was telling you today how to um, sync favorites from your your the scenes that you have saved in your app on your phone into uh, into ViewPanel. Yes, I, this would not have occurred to me. But it's easy to do. Yeah, so if you go to your, like when you hit favorites, it pulls the settings that the lights are on, not the ones that are on the 
light control panel. So if you use the, if you have a bunch of favorite settings in your native Hue app, you just turn them on, you know, put it on the setting, whichever one you like. Deep Sea is my favorite. And then launch Hue panel and just save it. And it'll, it'll save those particular settings because otherwise it's very difficult to reproduce manually. Yep. And that's the, the quick and easy way to do it. Excellent. So yeah, if you if you have Hue lights and haven't checked out HuePanel.com, it now now has I think personally everything I need. <laughs> right. Yeah. So if you have Hue lights, and I I checked on Twitter, I just did a quick like, hey, have you got Hue? And and I, half a dozen people got back to me. Um, if you are one of those people, then <clears throat> feel free to fork and issue pull requests or change the UI to meet your satisfaction or however that. Yep. Phrase goes. Yeah, I merged the after we did the DNS change, I merged the the changes I had done back into the master branch, so that's good to go. Oh cool, yeah, I noticed that. I noticed all your changes are on the dev branch. Awesome. That is so cool. All right, so let's dive into our feature, shall we? Uh yeah, because it's a long one. Yeah, we have a lot to cover. So so dear listener, the plan is this. Uh we've got a bunch we've sort of thought through um, the apps that we use uh, on a daily basis or close to it. And, uh, and we sort of grouped them into things like code authoring and management, source control and deployment, prototyping, testing, debugging, et cetera, et cetera. And we're going to go through those kind of in that order. And, and there are probably 50 things on this list. So we're not going to like dive into, you know, you could do a whole show on any one of them. Uh, so think of this as more of like greatest hits. And uh, if you're not familiar with any of these, then uh, consider a recommendation for us from us to spend the time to, you know, check it out. So if we list off a bunch of stuff that you already use and you're like, yeah, that's awesome. And then we say something you've never heard of, you should probably check it out. Um, does that sound good? Yes. So 66 items. Wow. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that sounds good to me. All and, right. um, I know, like, like, I feel like we need a Casey Kasem counting down or something. <laughs> five. <laughs> <laughs> Could be in at number five this week. <laughs> yeah. Wow. We are old. <laughs> so uh, why don't you kick it off since you, were the, you did the initial blog post, so you're, the, you're sort of the lead on most of these. So let's start off coming in at number one. Let's start <laughs> off with code authoring and management. <laughs> well, I use, and I know you do as well. I use Sublime Text as my my main editor. Absolutely. Yep you you forced me over from Sublime off of TextMate, which was my near and dear to my heart. TextMate was near and dear mm-hmm. to my heart, and I and now I, I merely use TextMate as my word processor. I virtually never <laughs> use it for code. And um, we can link to my blog, po- blog post in the show notes if you want more info on that, because I've got some details there about particular ways I've customized Sublime mm-hmm. yep. themes and what have you. So. Absolutely. Alrighty. And then, shall we move along? Yep. Yeah, we can just blast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the next one, which I we've mentioned a couple of times uh, in recent episodes, is CodeKit, mm-hmm. uh, which I use for JavaScript compiling and minification and SAS less than SAS processing, and it'll do some image optimization if you want it to, um, CoffeeScript compiling, that kind of thing. Mm. 
Yeah, very cool. I, uh, I did we mention on the show that I solved my problem with CodeKit? Yes. Okay. Yes, you had to rebuild your preferences file. Yes, exactly. So I I am officially pro CodeKit, with the one caveat that um, I tend to do a lot of work on remote servers, and you can't really use it on a remote server. So yeah. I think the reason I used it initially was because I was on a laptop and looking for something that I wouldn't have to spend a lot of time configuring the command line to get running. Yeah, it's dead simple to use. Yeah. Which is nice. Uh, so, yeah, that uh, that pretty much covers it for me. I, it's worth mentioning that, like I said, I do a lot of code editing on remote machines, mainly for the reason I know you do virtually, I, I think I'm right in saying you do all your development locally and then deploy or push or whatever. Yeah. Um, I do not always do that because you're on, the, you're on the go a lot more than I am. Yeah, and I um, I switch machines a lot, but I also need to test almost always almost everything I'm working on has a mobile component. So I, using a local web server, it's not necessarily super easy to connect your phone to it for live testing uh, for a variety of reasons that we'll go into on farther down the list. But uh, so so anyway. <laughs> Because I've not had an issue with this, so I'm, I'm curious where your problems lie. <laughs> yeah, I edit a lot on on remote servers instead of on my local machine. So CodeKit doesn't yeah. really work for me there. Sublime doesn't work for me there. So if I'm Nano, I people people who are familiar with like Emacs and Vim or, or VI, they're laughing at you. They're right laughing now. at me right now. I know, but but Nano is great for just like dumb, quick text edits. Yeah, and, and there's there's a lot to be said for simple. Yep, and uh, I. I even use it on my phone. Like I'll SSH into a uh, remote server on my phone and uh, nano the file and just edit it right on my phone. So, uh, you know, it's, you try that, Vim. Yeah, so that's that's pretty much it for code authoring and management. We don't really, we don't stray too far from the, from Sublime, really. No, we don't. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's it. <laughs> All right, cool. So we can move on to a, a closely related topic. Yes. Coming in at number two, source <laughs> control and deployment. <laughs> you do a horrible Casey Kasem. <laughs> <laughs> He's spinning his, in his grave, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, I hope he's dead. Is, is he dead? <laughs> I don't think he is. Oh, jeez. I hope he doesn't listen. <laughs> I don't think he is. Probably safe. I didn't mean I hope he's dead. <laughs> well, there's our title. <laughs> uh, so we both use Git for source control. <laughs> absolutely. Could not code without it. Don't know how I would survive if it wasn't for Git. Uh, I've used several other source control tools, SVN, um, Mercurial, and I just, I personally, I like Git the best. Yep. It, yeah. Despite its confusing moments. Is there's a learning curve, but, there is. but, and I, and if you're out there and saying, you know what, it's just too complicated for me. I don't need it. I got two things to tell you. First of all, there is a, uh, there are native applications that make it a little easier for you to deal with it. Um, GitHub has one. There's one called GitX, which is an open source version. I'm sure there are ones for Windows as well. Um, and, you know, that, that sort of helps you kind of onboard. I think accessing it via the terminal is better, but it's tougher at first. Uh, but also imagine that you have undo for your entire project forever. 
It's like it's like permanent <laughs> yes. forever undo. Yes. And and it I got to the point where I put git on everything because when I code now, I code as if I have a net. Like I code as if it doesn't matter what I do because I I could just go crazy and then just like go back if I need right, to. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, so I, that is my new modus operandi. So if I don't have Git, if I don't have the repo <laughs> under version control, I will, I you will go crazy and yeah. Yeah. I'll shoot myself in the foot like bad. Yeah. Yeah. You go crazy and then spend six hours undoing the, the crazy thing that you did. Yeah. 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 Yep. So. Yeah. And, and most of that for us ends up either in public or private repos on GitHub just because we like GitHub. Yeah. I've tried a couple other ones. They're all good, but, um. Yeah, I have, I, I, I use Bitbucket to archive projects that I want to keep private, but don't want to pay for more yeah. money, more money for. Yeah, Bitbucket's so. the free one, and there's another one that I used recently, uh, with I think it was Entertainment Weekly that that or no, the Ten Up uses. Mm-hmm. I can never remember the name of it, but it has some really cool auto auto deploy options, which I really liked, and I like the interface a lot better than GitHub because as nice as GitHub is, this one's even cleaner. But unfortunately, I cannot remember the name of it. Um, I'll see if I can Google it real quick. I don't know. Uh, I was thinking of deployhq.com. No. Well, anyway, I wouldn't. I wouldn't anyway. recommend using it. It's 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 pretty cool, but I feel like the deploy stuff should be handled separately anyway. So there's a little bit too. I don't know. It's super convenient, kind of like Heroku, but I don't know. Too too much. Too much integration. I just wouldn't. I don't know. I, I wouldn't use it for everything. If I'm, you can use GitHub for everything. So that for me, that's like okay, done. Yeah. You know, I think the people like Git. I don't know that the other ones don't have this, but GitHub has like a billion webhook services supported. So they kind of like sidestep any any integration issues. You can do. You just can't. I just feel like you can't paint yourself into a corner with GitHub. Plus, you get the pages hosting. and Like, GitHub should be in everybody's toolbox. You should familiarize yourself with GitHub. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And there's just, there's, you know, it's a great community, too. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, so GitHub, awesome. Definitely agree that with that. So, FTP. When you FTP. Have to, when you have uh, to FTP. I know we use, we use different apps here. I know I use, I use Forklift. Mm-hmm. And, and I use Transmit. But they're both, they seem pretty comparable. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, there's probably not really a whole lot to say about them. They're just basic FTP applications, and they're probably pretty much identical. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think the only, the only nice thing to mention about Transmit, I assume Forklift does this too, but again, since I'm like, uh, like a shoot-from-the-hip cowboy coder, you can FTP into or SFTP into a server and double click on a file. It'll open locally in Sublime, you just, and when you just save it, it automatically re-uploads it, uh, and then you can execute. Wow. <laughs> Can't believe we're still friends. <laughs> well, I'm not saying it's a production server. Okay, but it usually is. <laughs> <laughs> but then you can execute. Like if you just want to execute, uh, you can just do like you can execute command line stuff as if you're SSH'd in over that. So it's it's just super convenient. I do it for like yeah. I use it for hacky stuff like my own personal website where I don't really give right, a crap if it goes down. Doesn't give crap. Yeah. 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 Um, and does Transmit have any kind of S3 integration? It does. Cool. In fact you can uh, forklift has. It does, yeah. Does it allow you to mount um, FTP 
yeah, mount on your desktop or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So they're basically the same app. <laughs> uh, so okay. Well, what about Capistrano? That's your Capistrano. That is my. There are a lot of tools out there for deployment, and a lot of them that have kind of come in that are newer than Capistrano that have sort of sort of taken over the job that it used to do because they offer more flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, like chef and, and puppet and that sort of thing more more provisioning tools mm-hmm. but uh, my deployment needs are usually pretty simple because I usually already have the server set up I just need to get code onto it mm-hmm. and so Capistrano is my, my sort of go to for deploying code to the server cool that's cool I, sh- I should do that more but I don't I usually get pull or use webhooks or whatever yeah but it would be nicer to use Capistrano because it's way easier to roll back. So it's very clever the way it works. Yeah, it is. I haven't. Uh, there's a new version of Capistrano that came out just recently, and I haven't haven't taken a look at it yet. The configuration is a little different, um, so I haven't bothered to to learn it yet. So that's that. I'm remembering correctly that that's one. It basically uploads a fresh directory of the new code, and then it updates a sim link to point at the new directory. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a brilliant move. That is so smart. It's just yeah, gonna be can, so easy to roll back. How many old copies you want to keep? And yeah, that is it. really cool. I love that. I don't know why I don't use that more. I love that. Um, cool. Okay, so uh, I feel like it's worth mentioning uh, SSH because I am constantly SSHing around the various servers that we have working. Yeah. Constantly. Yeah. Um, it's. I I know how people are just allergic. A lot of people are just allergic to the command line. But I couldn't live without it. I know. It's like so great. And you know, people have their arguments and and there's sort obviously lots of things you don't want to do there, but I really think you'll you will level up your career if you learn enough of the command line to know when you should use it because it is mm-hmm. so it is such a power tool. Um it's just great. I've posted a couple of YouTube videos to help people kind of start to get familiar with, um, uh, you know, with various Git things in the command line. And a lot of people just freak out. They're like, oh, you know, you lost me at the black window. And I'm like, dude, you call yourself a computer professional? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I grew up using a DOS prompt. So, mm. <laughs> you know. Yeah, me too. So anyway, SSH is, you know, it's not, it's not the terminal in general, but um, it's a very, very useful thing uh, for basically executing commands on a remote machine. It's just, it's mm-hmm. just, I'm just constantly doing it. Couldn't live without yep. it. Yep. But we won't live there. That and, and, and bash, the bash shell, which I think I mentioned later down. So. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Coming in at number three. <laughs> UI prototyping. <laughs> Getting any better? Is that better? Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't know. I'm gonna gonna reserve judgment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, I'm gonna kick this one off and say that the hands down number one UI prototyping tool, and I've tried pretty much everything, is pencil and paper. <laughs> yep. And I don't mean pen and paper. I mean pencil and paper. Yes. 
Um, it is graph paper. Yep, graph paper really helps. A ruler is nice if you really want to go nuts. Um, I've even gone so far as to buy those metal template things from Stencil UI or whatever they're called, but uh, I actually do not recommend those because they are not life size. Oh, I yes. was just going to ask about that. They are larger than life size, which throws you off because you think you have more room than you really do. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I do not like that. Um, I have tried everything from doing something fancy in Penultimate on the iPad so I can duplicate templates, blah, blah, blah. It's all fine, but nothing really comes, to, you know, when it comes right down to it, a, uh, I carry a, uh, whatchamacallit, a uh, moleskin notebook. And it's just bigger enough than my phone that I can trace the outline mm -hmm. of the phone. And, and that sort of keeps me honest on the page size. And then I can go to town in there uh, and use pencil and paper. That's there great. you go. Yep. There you go. That, that's what I do too. And yes, I have traced my phone before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty important to keep it actual size. Paper prototyping is yeah. killer. Yeah. It's also great good, with clients. Good mechanical pencil. Yes. It's also good when you're working with non-technical clients or non-designer clients because they feel very included in the process because any anyone can scribble on a piece of paper. Yeah, it's non-threatening. Yes, it's very non-threatening. It's it's great all the way around, and I, I don't see it getting improved on anytime soon. Although, like foreshadowing. And it's fast. It's Well, it's faster than anything else, too. It's just the most efficient way. Yeah. So, there you have it. Um, I have also in the past sort of this prototyping for me is a weird thing because it's like there's wireframes, there's prototyping, there's mockups and it's like what level of fidelity we're talking about. So pencil and paper for me is the, is the very first stage of getting ideas down on paper. Right. My, my general take on it is to jump to code as soon as possible. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I, I definitely do this same thing, like get into HTML as quick as I can. Um, when when we say code, I think we both mean you know like yeah. browser, right, right. Uh, because that is it's pretty easy. You know you can make global changes to CSS uh, really quickly across things, but there are some drawbacks to HTML. Sometimes you just want something static. Sometimes you want something that has animations, and it can be a real pain in the butt to mock that up in HTML. Whereas with paper, you can make a little flipbook. No. <laughs> that would be so I'm funny. Kidding. Uh, that would be. Oh, that's funny. That would be a great April Fool's spoof website. Yeah. Flipbook UI. <laughs> Prototyping for designers. It's oh, just man. a pad of paper. <laughs> yeah, you flip through it. So look at the animations. All you have to do <laughs> is draw the page 700 times. <laughs> now you can prototype animations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Animation prototyping. <laughs> we have to make this happen. That is so funny. Oh man. Anyway, so okay, so if, if we have to, uh, uh, once once you do have those pencil and paper drawings, I came across a new tool recently that will I will absolutely be using when I need to really hash out animations with the customer because, or even with myself, because. The animations mm -hmm. between screens are very important and they're so important that I prefer to leave them out unless it is totally obvious that the animation is adding value Yeah. for the end user. 
Um, so that said, there is a tool called POP, uh, which stands for Prototyping on Paper, which is an iOS app that I literally had the exact idea for and never did anything about. It is, it is exactly what I want. <laughs> and here's what you do. You, you do your paper, your paper and pencer prototyping <laughs> and, <laughs> and then you launch this app and you take a picture of each page and then uh, you can basically touch any area of the screen and it gives you drag handles that you can draw a button over any piece of the picture and then link it to one of the other pictures. And when you blink it, you can tell it how you want it to animate. Like, do you want the incoming page to slide up over or do you want it to slide left to right? Do you want it to cover? Do you want it to push? Do you want it to flip or fade? And uh, it's great. It's, there's, and there's so many smart little touches. Like if you, um, if you tap on a region of the screen that's not an active button, all of the active buttons flash for a second. So you can see where the active buttons are. Uh, it's it's brilliant. If you want to, if you want to go back to the home screen, the navigation in the app, it, you use the volume buttons on the phone. So y there's no piece of the interface that's taken up with its own interface. It's genius. Oh, wow. That's, that's cool. It's that's totally, totally genius. So I have used it playing around. I haven't used it with a customer yet. And there's like tons of export options. I think you can export it as a, as a movie. So, you know, you can sort of go through it and, and people can now watch how, you, how it works. It's just, ah, it's bananas. It's so great. Um, I'll just quick, sounds, sounds cool. Yeah. Uh, just quick, quick sort of shout out to preview the PDF viewer on iOS and also keynote the, the, uh, sort of PowerPoint like slideshow tool on iOS. I've used both of those in the past to good effect when I'm trying to create something really portable to send to the client because you can cre create clickable regions in both uh, that, that lead to the next screen. But for, but those are dead to me now for any kind of mobile prototyping. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I used Kina a little, I've used, she's Omnigraph a little, but good grief. You, you need to take a class. Yeah. It's too fiddly. I love OmniGraffle for other stuff, and I've tried it for UI, but it's just too much. Yeah. So cool. Do you have any other... Uh, I know we've tried some other prototyping stuff, but I, I don't feel like there's anything worth mentioning, regrettably. Um, no, not really. I mean, we tried... We used, I think, Mockingbird for a while. Yeah, and Proto.io, and there's a bunch... Fluid yeah. UI. There's a bunch of them. I just... I just... It's pencil and paper, babes. Yeah, I guess Pattern Lab probably deserves another mention. Oh, forgot about Pattern Lab. Okay, so what do we say about Pattern Lab other than check it out? Pattern Lab's, <laughs> yeah. a, Pattern Lab's a whole new level, though. Uh, yeah, it is. I'm not sure what category to even put it in. I guess you'd call it prototyping, but it's... Yeah, but it's it's you're, you're, you're like, slowly building it, though. Like, you're building the <laughs> yeah, actual you thing. Are. You are. It's amazing. So Brad Frost, this is this is worthy of an entire episode. But Brad Frost uh, created Brad on the show to talk about it. We should do that. He's we've mentioned it before. He said he would do it. I just have to get it together. But uh, Brad sort of, I think Brad introduced the notion of atomic design, or at least he's the first person I heard it from. And it's kind of like you know looking at your 
well, we've talked about it before. I don't want to go into it now, but it's a very powerful tool for building up an interface from teeny little pieces that sort of grow into larger pieces. And it's, it makes it very easy to start out with gray boxes on a white background and, and then, you know, fill in this one particular part of the user interface with actual HTML or, or, or style HTML. Yeah, people should totally, totally check out yeah, Pattern yeah. Lab. Yeah, I'm about to about to dive in and start using the new version here next week. So. Sweet. Yeah, so this it kind of crosses categories, but I'll put it in uh, UI prototyping because that's where you start using it. Mm-hmm. And obviously, folks, we will link to all of these things in the show notes. <laughs> all right. Big so long he, list in the show notes. Yes, big, big long list. Aren't you glad we have this the Sodomatic now to Yeah, <laughs> yes. Coming in at number four. Oh, it's getting worse. <laughs> <laughs> Testing and debugging. Oh god, that was awful. The hits keep coming. <laughs> so this is a topic near and dear to my heart. Uh, because testing and debugging is probably where you, it's like you, you like to think that you spend most of your time building awesome app, but you don't really, you don't most of your time debugging it. Yeah. Testing and debugging takes a full 50% of the workload. So maybe refactoring too, but it's, it's all, it's all brutal, but you kick off this category. So I'll drink my drink while you start off. Okay. Um, well, first of all, we both use Chrome as our browser of choice. Thanks to its its powerful developer tools. Just keep getting better. Yep. And they they just can't be beat. <laughs> yeah. Firefox has improved a lot over the years, but I still greatly prefer Chrome. Yep, they have some new updates that are just shocking. Just shockingly good. Uh, we'll link to in the show notes. There's some videos of you know, proxying and it's just ridiculous. You can like remotely debug stuff on your phone using Chrome. It's it's bananas. Yeah, re- remote debugging is 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 going to be great to have because that bring brings up the next item on on said debugging list, which is which is Safari. And I don't really like Safari's uh, developer tools, but sometimes you need to do remote debugging on iOS, and um, mm-hmm. it's it's what it's what you use because it's what's what works. Yeah, <laughs> what's available. It's the so, only option, really. Yeah, and they're they're not horrible, but. They, they could be definitely be a lot better. So. Yep. There uh, for a long time I used Winery for this, um, mm-hmm. and it's not on the list because I stopped using it when Safari came out with this. So, um, yeah. So if if you're out there using Winery, you might want to take a look at Safari because Winery is always a little fiddly, and slow and kind of unpredictable. Uh, at least in my experience. So uh, it was better than nothing, but now we have something that's a little better than winery in my, in my yeah. estimation. Yeah. Cool. So moving on to RSpec. Moving on to RSpec. I use RSpec practically every day. This is something that I should be doing. <laughs> Some kind <laughs> of auto. I don't have yeah, automated testing baked into my... I, I avoided. It's one of those things that I avoided for a long time, and now I can't live without it. Yeah. Especially when we're developing APIs. Yeah. Yep. Now, RSpec though is now is it 
Now, if I'm if I am a PHP guy, is RSpec useful for me in any way, or is there some? It is it is a test suite for Ruby. Yeah, so I I need PHP Unit. I think is the one that I would use. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess theoretically you could use RSpec to write your tests for for Capybara, which mentioned later, mm-hmm. and and run them and and test them on you know on on any sort of app, mm-hmm. and and just do. <clears throat> client-side feature testing with it that way but client-side well i mean i mean you're you're inter- you're testing the interface because you're, you'd be using it to navigate to pages and click buttons and that sort of stuff rspec does that uh you well no copywire does that but oh, you can you know you can use rspec as your interface to copywire to write your tests gotcha okay so so theoretically you could you could use it for other languages that way if you wanted to navigate around a site automate the navigating around the site. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's primarily a, a testing framework for Ruby and um, not specifically Rails. You can use it within, with any Ruby. But there, there are, there's an RSpec Rails gem as well for, for better Rails integration. Gotcha. Cool. Well, so you mentioned Capybara a little bit. Can you go into that one a little more? Yeah, yeah. Capybara is uh, it's a, a testing tool for for basically interacting with your website's interface, uh, for like navigate to a page and and click a button and evaluate, you know, get the results from some evaluated JavaScript or an AJAX call or uh, you know, that kind of thing. It's it's just a, a way to automate the testing of your your your, your front end. Hmm. That God, I I really I have to cross this hurdle. I have to be doing that. <laughs> It's like, because even with simple, simple apps like Kilo or, or Fat Margo, mm. F, Fat Margo, Fat <laughs> wrong dog, wrong girl, wrong dog, <laughs> um, <laughs> Fat George or Fat Maggie or like any of these like simple little like utility apps that I like to build. Mm-hmm. It, every single time it gets to a point where you're like, damn, I can't believe that CSS change I made broke that other page. It, ha- it, <laughs> yeah. it always happens. And so it's like if if these actually had well, I mean, Kilo does have you know uh, fewer than a hundred, but maybe like sixty or seventy people in it. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, I don't want to be like finding out from them that whatever some button went missing or it's like too small to tap. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, and there there are there are a few tools tools for doing that sort of thing mm-hmm. i believe but copyware is the one i use but there are there are a few out there and uh i forget off the top of my head what they are but i think phantom js is another one yeah yeah that, that's what i'm thinking of so i gotta i gotta get down with that anyway okay cool so got lots to cover testing 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 is awesome um Ooh. let's see you have one here that I'm not familiar with. Oh, Charles? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Charles is up next. So Charles is a, it's kind of like Wireshark for the Mac. Uh, it's a network proxy. Uh, they're all, always careful to call them network debugging proxies. <laughs> um, and I use it when I'm having some kind of problem between uh, the app and the server. So if, if, so Ajax calls aren't working or I'm not getting a JSON response the way I'm expect, expecting. 
you you launch Charles and it listens to you. It basically gloms onto your network adapter and you mm -hmm. can um, just inspect all of the traffic going back and forth, including SSL traffic. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, it's very cool. So that's, that is very cool, but it gets even cooler because you can use Charles, you literally check a box and say that you want to use Charles as a network proxy. And uh, you, we, I think you do this as well, uh, but I often edit the host file on my machine to point at a dev server instead of a production server. Yes. And you cannot do that on your phone. So if you want to visit that site on your phone using the actual domain name, uh, it's, it's impossible uh, without something like this, as far as I know. So you set up your, you set up Charles as a proxy server, and then you get your phone on the same uh, wireless network, and you just point it at the IP of your machine, and uh, and then uh, it goes through Charles proxies through their nice. respects your host file. Nice. I was. I'll have to. I'll have to check into that definitely. Yeah, and it gives you the added advantage of being able to watch all the network traffic coming uh, to and from your phone, which is very interesting. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so things, cool. Things you would not expect. Exactly. Um, it's pretty shocking just on your computer. But anyway, so <clears throat> that is, uh, I do not have need to use that every day, but it is a very important tool uh, that it, when I do need it, it's killer. And it's got a great UI, really nice Mac application. Um, I so, it in the App Store? I don't think so. I downloaded it from their website. Okay. Uh, which I think is charlesproxy.com. But again, we'll link to it in the show notes. Um, in a similar vein, uh, I've been using something called dev HTTP client. So we've talked in the past about, um, geez, what was that thing called? Graphical HTTP client? Yeah. yeah the, the app with the most generic name ever. Yeah. It's so easy to Google for that. Yeah. So that uh, was my previous favorite API testing tool or API kind of kind of uh, poking poking tool, right? Your 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 favorite curl GUI. Exactly, it's exactly what it is. Um, Dev HTTP client completely blows graphical HTTP client out of the water. Why? Why have you not told me about this before now? Uh, I keep on thinking that we're going to do this tools episode, and I wanted to oh. spring it on you. It was a big uh -huh. like Christmas present. But it's, you're right, it's been taking a long time to get to this tools episode. So Dev HTTP Client, it's a, it's a Chrome app. So you, it's like, a, it's like a, just totally a web app that you install in Chrome. And the, the, it has many advantages over the, the native Mac app. For example, um, it just makes the history much more easily accessible. It's like the history is right there. Uh, you can navigate around with the keyboard a lot easier. Um, you can, it's way easier to input headers. There's just some, it's just way better all the way around. It's not as, it doesn't look as good, um, mm -hmm. but it is from a functional standpoint is way, way better. Cool. So, yeah, that's, it's great. You know, I think you maybe did mention it to me once before, but I don't think I looked into it. it yeah. Does, I, I might've said yeah. something like, Oh, I can't wait to talk about this or whatever, but <laughs> Yeah, and then finally in testing and debugging, I cannot finish a list like this without saying lots of devices. Uh, yes, I first read that and I was like, is that the name of an app? No, you mean actually owning a lot of devices. <laughs> right. Uh, these days, it's really not 
feasible to get by without testing on physical devices. Um, yes. I had a nice thread on Twitter with someone who asked, well, okay, but which ones should I test on? And <clears throat> uh, we'll, we'll link to the, the sort of long blog post answer to that question. But In short, as many as you can. Yep. Yeah. And, the, and, and if you're doing client work, you pretty much have to get them to agree to a, a short list of stuff that is going to be explicitly supported and then the other stuff is best effort. Mm -hmm. So usually that looks like old iPhone, new iPhone, old Android, new Android phone, uh, Kindle tablet, Windows. yeah, a Windows phone, uh, Kindle, Kindle tablet, Kindle Fire, yeah. Kindle Fire tablet, uh, maybe an old one, maybe a new one. If you're really going crazy, maybe an actual Kindle, but probably not. Uh, if you're really going crazy, maybe a BlackBerry, but probably not. Um, I literally haven't had a client ask me to test on BlackBerry in over a year. Yeah. Uh, oh, this reminds me. I should, now that it's done, I should submit Hue Panel to the Firefox OS App Store. Yes. Because it, it does work well on Firefox OS. Yes, that's true. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you got to have an iOS device yeah. and an Android device. So get a, get a, whatever, get a, a used S3 if you have to off eBay. They're like 100, 200 bucks used. Get uh, an iPod Touch. And if, you know, if you don't want a contract, then those two devices are at least get you started. Yeah. And it probably should have a seven inch tablet and an iPad. Yep. So. Yeah, it's like I've got the Nexus 7, a couple of Kindles, the iPhone, mm. a couple of Android phones, the Firefox phone, yeah. Yeah, it's it's getting to the point where if you follow progressive enhancement and you do like we say all the time, then what ends up happening is you go on these devices and you're like, oh, everything it works. Everything works. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll link to that, uh, we'll link to a little bit more detailed blog post about that in the show notes. Yeah, you know, you know what? I haven't had anybody request support for in a long time. Hmm. Internet Explorer seven or eight. <laughs> TechCrunch did. Did they? Yeah, they like we still have a lot of. There, it was weird because they were like, the TechCrunch. Uh, I, well, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to share these numbers. They they have a ridiculously high percentage of Chrome users, mm -hmm. but they also have a lot of IE six. Which is it's sort of weird. They've got like both ends of the spectrum. That sounds like IT guys stuck, uh, corporate, government and corporate IT guys stuck behind work computers that that had no choice but to use IE6, but they still want to read TechCrunch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that'd be my guess. But anyway. Yes. Coming in at number five, database management. I'm gonna, that, that'll be that'll be the last yeah, one of those. I'm not doing that last, anymore. <laughs> no, you're not doing that anymore. <laughs> no, ever. <laughs> SQL Pro. Yes, plus one on SQL Pro. Yes, I love SQL Pro, which is which is free despite its name. <laughs> yeah. You think it's it's going to be more expensive than the free SQL, but <laughs> mm -hmm. no, it is um, uh, MySQL. Inter, um, GUI graphical interface for for managing um, and and interacting with MySQL servers. Yep. If you're using PHP, my admin, please stop. Yeah. Use this. It's way better. It's a Mac app, though. It is. It's a Mac app, and it's it's full of features, and it has a really nice interface, and it's just 
I, I love it. <laughs> yep. It's reasonably fast. It's very reliable. It's yeah. It's great. Yeah. yeah. You know, mul- multiple tabs. Yep. It's got everything you want. Saves your favorites. I'll tell you one thing. The only downside of it is that, uh, every time I try to import my connection favorites from one machine to another, it crashes. Uh, I haven't done that. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. But, but whatever. Yeah. I just type them. It's great. Yep, I like it. I like it a lot. Um, and uh, speaking of, and then for Postgres, I I use PG Commander. Possibly the funniest name I've heard in a while. I don't know why I think that's funny, <laughs> but it reminds me of a Power Ranger for some reason. So I just like picture a guy in like tights with a belt and gloves. <laughs> a helmet. Yeah, like it should, they should have like an action figure. PG Commander. <laughs> like maybe a cake. <laughs> oh, PG Commander saving the database. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, saving the world one database at a time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, and it's it's not actually I I shouldn't talk too much about this because I haven't upgraded in a while and there's a new version out and I'm sure the new version uh, has got things in it that I'm that I'm not aware of. But it's it's not quite as, as beautiful to look at as SQL Pro, or at least the version I have isn't. Mm-hmm. And it's not, and again, the version I have not quite as powerful as as like PG Admin is. Yeah. But the interface is tons tons better than than the PG Admin interface, and it'll do like ninety five percent of the things you would ever need to do. Cool. Cool. And then um, I have a little app that I also have a little app that I found in the Mac App Store called SQLite Professional that I use when I when I need to poke around in in, in SQLite databases, mm. which is not often these days, but it occasionally does happen. Yep, yeah, I have one called Base that does the same thing. Same yeah, with same this, with me. I hardly ever use it, but when you do use it, it's great. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, SQLite SQLite Professional is, and it's just. It's a it's a very very basic application, but you know it it works and 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 yeah. Yeah, that's one of those things that you that you can do at the command line, but I'd rather not. Yeah. It's not more powerful at the command line to be dorking around with a SQL database, SQL like database. No, it's, it's not more powerful with the command line to be dorking around with any database. I think. Yeah. <laughs> generally. <laughs> yeah, that's not a good fit. All right. So next up, we've got local server software. So it's basically local development environment stuff. Yeah. And, you know, most of the time, most of the time I'm doing some kind of Ruby development. And so I'll be using some sort of Ruby based web server like uh, WebBrick in the Rails testing environment or, or Thin or that sort of stuff. But I do have a MAMP server that I keep running uh, on on my iMac for those times when I need to. to you do something in PHP or run you know, access files over a, a, a local server rather than just opening the file itself in the browser. Mm-hmm. Yep, me too. Uh, MAMP is the best. I i don't love it, but I don't know of anything uh, that right. is a I mean, good mix of convenience and power. Yeah, I mean, I could, up, I could update the Apache that's installed on the system and run it and yeah, you could install Apache and and PHP and all of that stuff. Actually, yeah, it's a pain on, in the ass. The system, it's a pain in the butt. Yeah, for, and Apple's always screwing around with it. Yeah, 
Yeah, which brings me to the next one that I use, actually. Speaking of, of Apple screwing around with things, um, I use Postgres.app, which is originally um, done by Heroku. Hmm. And that's because getting a Postgres server up and running in OS X can be kind of a pain. Mm-hmm. Because there's an older version already installed that the operating system uses. Yeah. So. It's the same with MAMP. They've got yeah. a different version of PHP. Yeah. Yeah, this the the version of, of Postgres that's installed already is actually used by the operating system for managing stuff. Ooh, yeah. So you don't want to upgrade that, right? So you don't want to don't want to break it. And so Postgres app dot app is it's just all all encapsulated and just run the app and, and your your post your PGSQL servers up and running and, and you're good to go. Cool. <clears throat> Great. Uh, so automation and scripting. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier that you um, are just a big Bash scripting fan. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I I find myself doing doing more like you know, I don't write really lengthy Bash scripts, but I do a lot of little short ones or or clever Bash one liners for for figuring out things and mm-hmm. finding information and kind of kind of digging through stuff. Yep. So. Here. So yeah, Bash is is definitely it's another one of those things that you you will, you will level up once you learn it. Yeah, I just wrote a little Bash script to go through our the niche podcast logs. As a matter of fact, yes. S three has the bizarre. Uh, it's yeah. Like every every line of their Apache or their web server log is a file. Yeah, it's really weird. Yeah, so when you download, you download like like four gigabytes of of you know there's like literally 65,000 files in the in the directory <laughs> or like but see the thing is I can't even open the directory so I don't know how many files it is right but I needed to grep through them looking for episode titles so I wrote a little script it's probably 10 lines long it asks what episode number do you want to start on which one do you want to end on and it just greps through and counts and tells us that we've got about uh, 300 listeners oh cool <laughs> Depending on the week, sometimes a thousand, but cool. And then PHP. I was shocked and amazed (laughs) to see PHP on your list. Were you really? No. No. It's good for it's good. It's great for scripting. Yeah, I I really like it for for scripting, um, you know, for shell scripts, because it's it's not my favorite language to 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 use, but it's such a kitchen sink of a language that you know all of a lot of the things that you need to do in a shell script, you can easily do with PHP. So. Yep. You there every. I think I used the analogy on a previous show that it's like it's like this gigantic workroom with just littered with mm-hmm. tools. Yeah. Like just tables everywhere covered with tools falling on the floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's PHP. Yeah. That is PHP. Yeah, I actually like it better for for shell scripting than I do for for websites. <laughs> yeah, because a website a website is such a much more complicated thing. You know, you, you need, you need, I feel like you need more help with a website. A framework really helps. Mm-hmm. Not that there are no PHP frameworks, which we'll talk about later, but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no, we're in agreement. We're in agreement. <laughs> yeah. But so your next one really, you, you said rake and now this totally, I don't even know what you mean. So like, can you explain rake a little bit? Yeah, rake, rake is a Ruby gem that it just gives you a little, a little um, DSL for writing um, basically, just just automating things. 
you know, like um, like rake tasks to migrate. For instance, migrating a database is a rake task, and or, you know, like, like there's a a lot of rake tasks associated with Rails. But you can also go in and you can write your own. Um, for instance, I was I was playing around the other day with an idea for an app, and I wrote a rake task to um, authenticate to GitHub and get API keys. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then plug them into my application and, and and that sort of stuff. And usually, usually I use rake tasks to write things that are uh, for, to automate tasks that are specific to like a particular application that I'm working on. So why like would you? Maybe, what would make you make you pick that over like PHP, for example? Uh, usually, well, usually I I write them to to go with um, Ruby apps that I'm already working on. Mm-hmm. So it's just. Um, and you it's, like it's write autom- a rake automating, file. Yeah, automating things that I need to do when developing a Ruby application. Mm-hmm. Like maybe automating, like maybe write, write a rake task to uh, clean all the junk out of the database or you know, clean files out of a directory for, that I've been testing with. And Yeah, okay, so that makes sense. Yeah. But, it, but the, you're not writing Ruby, right? You write a rake file and then the rake... Rake is expecting particular kind of instructions that it's familiar with, or what? Yeah, it's it's Ruby code, but it's sort of you know there there's a little there's a a, a bit of a, a, a sort of sort of natural language type type um, DSL for there. It's kind of yeah, but but yeah, it's it's Ruby. Mm, okay, cool. Yeah, I I could show it to you, and it would make sense to you immediately, but but I wouldn't be able to write one. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, so my only addition to this, uh, obviously I'm a fan of Bash and PHP. Rake I, I haven't used really, but um, uh, I find myself using cron a lot. I write all kinds of like, and I, I don't, it's weird when I was thinking about it, I was like, you know what? I use cron all the time. That's that's weird because I don't have a lot of cron jobs. Yeah, I, I do. It's like uh, for stuff like server monitoring and... Uh, or, or like uh, updating, uh, updating like a, a data warehouse, or just like weird, weird little things. So I end up writing a, a fair number of, or, or like web hooks, like all kinds of stuff. So <clears throat> I write a fair number of little PHP files that I execute with cron jobs, either directly on the local system or remotely with curl. So I don't know. It's uh, I find it very useful, and I'm not really aware of any other any other options I feel like there should be a web service that did this but I don't know uh, there is actually there's, there's a few where you can basically set up like a timed yeah curl request yeah, yeah. that's pretty sweet there's, there's a few that do I can't remember what they are off the top of my head huh, interesting I'll have to look into that I'm looking at Pixelmator. There was another there was another Mac app that I could not remember the name of that I used a lot. No, that's not. Yeah. It. <clears throat> so yeah, we're into image editing now. Yes. Next up, oh, I said I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> do it anyway. <laughs> Coming well, what I know what number are we? 1 2 3 4 5 6 7. Coming in at number 8. Image editing. Uh, 
What if that sticks and I always end up talking like that? Don't talk like that. You'll stick. It'll stick that way. Yeah. Don't. You're right. We're going to lose listeners left and right. <laughs> We're like 12. But maybe we'll get all Casey Kasem's people. Maybe. <laughs> so obviously at the top of this list, we have to yes. say. Photoshop. Yeah. Photoshop. And Illustrator. Yep. Neither of which I use, but I realize that they are definitely the number one and two. Yes, yes. I use I use both, and I have used both for probably at least 15 years now. So. <laughs> yeah, so, so. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're industry standard for a reason. They're both great applications. Right. <clears throat> My image needs are nowhere near. I, we, I don't suppose we need to talk yeah. about those too much. Everybody knows those. Um, and they're to me, they're just. They're just too much. Photoshop I used to use a lot at work, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. I was a, a professionally paid to use Photoshop, I think, during the version 4 years. Photoshop 4 yeah, or 5. I, I, I started with version 3. Yeah, so it was it was in the era, era when a Mac was the shape of a jelly bean, shape and color of a jelly bean. Mm-hmm. And you literally would go get coffee while you were running a filter. Yeah. So those days are thankfully behind us. But I, um, after a few versions went by, I found that I could not, it was too much learning curve to go back to Photoshop. So I used, I found an app called Acorn, which uh, is absolutely perfect for my needs. Very. I've heard a lot of good things about Acorn. It is fabulous for light image editing. Uh, You know, and and it's, you know, Photoshop still does CMYK. It's like a print. It's it's still like print worthy. Mm-hmm. Acorn is like, nah, we don't need that. <laughs> we just need some basic filters, some typical stuff that you do online, the basic tools. It's uh, it's just I just I don't use it that often, but when I use it, I use it uh, heavily. One thing that I like about Photoshop that I don't think Acorn has is the ability to um, write macros. Yeah. Uh, I really used to like that about Photoshop. Yeah, Photoshop has a full-blown scripting language if you want to bother to learn it. Mm-hmm. Or you, know, you they have the actions that you can record, but they also have a full-blown a full a full-blown scripting language. Yeah. And I I did try to to ping Avalio with it once and wasn't able to get it working. Oh, really? Yeah. But that could just be me <laughs> not knowing <laughs> what I was doing. You tried to ping Avalio with a Photoshop action? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got network like make connection a f- errors. A Photoshop plugin for Avalio? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was trying to do. That's awesome. <laughs> wow. Just to, just to see if I could. I got network connection errors, but Oh man. Well, I've got uh one other quick one. Um uh, mm-hmm. Image Optim, which is a Mac application that you drop images on and it squashes those things. I have, have not used this, but that's probably because I use Photoshop and I just do those in Photoshop. Yeah, so it's um, it's great if you... Uh, so I, I was doing slideshows for both Entertainment Weekly and TechCrunch, and the files mm-hmm. that we got were ginormous for no reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess there's a lot of metadata in there or just some kind of sloppiness. And it was amazing how much you could squash those things down with no visual difference. Yeah, yeah, and actually, I think CodeKit will do this too. I think. Uh, yeah, I I think you're right. I I wasn't 
uh, messing with CodeKit at the time. So, or, or I was, as a matter of fact, but I wasn't happy with it. So I'm not sure. Right, you were. I mean, your performance issues with your corrupted files. Exactly. Well. Exactly. Well, it happens to a lot of guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, Image Optimum is a very simple standalone application. You just drop drop pings on it or JPEGs or whatever, and just like poops them out, tells you how much space you saved, and you're off to the races. Nice. So I threw Image Magic on the list, even though, but I did it for you because I know you use it. Uh, I've yeah, used we it use in it the a, past. We use it a lot, don't we? Yeah, I mean, I haven't done a ton of programming with it, but it does. It, it's the way to do it. Uh, yeah, like for, on a for any server. kind of any kind of server side image processing or any kind of like huge amount of batch image processing that that you can just write a script for. Um, you know, there's there's <laughs> surprisingly large amount of image processing that you can do that you don't need to actually be looking at the image for. Right? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So yeah, Image yeah. Magic is a great command line tool for image editing. And you can create PDFs with it, can't you? It's like there's a whole bunch of. Uh, I don't know if you can or not. I would not be surprised if you can convert an image to a PDF format, but I don't know about multi-page PDFs. Okay. I don't know. Um, and that's yeah, maybe we should maybe we should have put um, somewhere on this list the the WKHTML the PDF app somewhere. Yeah, that's a that might go down the other. That's a fringe fringe yeah, thing, it's but it's a, a fringe thing. But, uh, but you just added Pixelmator on here. What's Pixelmator? Uh, it is a uh, an image editing application for the Mac, and it is the closest thing I have ever seen to a a reasonable um, Photoshop alternative mm -hmm. ever. Um, it's it's like um, you know, like everybody says, GIMP is a Photoshop alternative. You know, GIMP's it's not GIMP is crap, <laughs> but uh, um, but Pixelmator. Not not as feature filled, mm -hmm. but has a lot of the the major features that people want to use Photoshop for 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 basic image editing for the web, you know, like like layers and layer styles and and some actions and, and that kind of stuff. Oh, cool! And um, yeah, it's um, can't remember how much it costs, um, but I, I don't think it's much, like, like maybe thirty bucks or so. Mm -hmm. um, I know I've I've at times seen it on sale for fourteen bucks. Cool. And um, yeah, it's just I have it on my laptop um, because I I just didn't want to put Photoshop on my laptop um, yeah. because I don't I don't do a lot of heavy image editing on there and because um, I can't see it that well. But yeah, it's just it's a it's a great little image editor if you don't need all of the the super advanced stuff that Photoshop does. It would if if I'm if I don't need all that stuff, um, then this would this would be my go-to image editor. Oh, cool! It'd be interesting if you check out Acorn to see what the differences are. Yeah. Yeah, and Pixelmator has a very Photoshop-like interface. Gotcha. So it, it'll it'll feel very familiar. Excellent. That brings us to frameworks and libraries. <laughs> <laughs> Got it at the end there. Yeah. I can't stop. I'm trying to stop, but I can't. <laughs> you know when people say they can stop anytime they want to, they just don't want yeah. to. Yeah, you can. We should redo the intro that way too. It's like that. Oh my god, can you imagine? <laughs> people be dropping off like flies. Yeah, like what is this? Like, like can we have JBot back? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be good though, because then it'd take me less time to grip through the logs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So obviously, I mean, we can, cr- this is a long list, but we can probably crank through it because we talk about this stuff all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, Ruby so, on Rails. Yeah. Obviously Ruby on Rails. We don't even need to talk about that. Uh, yeah. Sinatra for APIs and very, and would you say also very simple web apps or just APIs? Yeah, no, I've, I've been using, uh, for the more complex APIs, I've been using Rails as well. Mm-hmm. But for all the simple stuff, be it an API or a web app, I, I like Sinatra a lot. Um, QPanel is Sinatra. Cool. Very cool. QPanel is also using CoffeeScript, which you have on the it list. Is. Which Oof, you fresh. probably hate me for now, but. Eh, it's like, it's, I, I like that the JavaScript output by CoffeeScript is like pre-linted. You can have it compressed. It's like, it's like using, I see the advantages of it, but I still, it's, it's really, I don't know. I could see myself getting caught up in it because the syntax is nicer. I don't have the, I don't have the fly out the window, no seatbelt feeling anymore. <laughs> but the thing that kills me is there's some really basic concepts that I don't have my head around yet, like variable scope and passing parameters. And it's like, if you don't, if you don't know that you're kind of, yeah, you end up writing really hacky code. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm not yeah. sold I mean, yet. It, yeah, it just take, it takes some time to get used to. There's, there's a bit of a learning curve. There's there's more of a learning curve than than all of the CoffeeScript enthusiasts and evangelists claim that there is. Yeah. I just <laughs> they like, all say, well, it's just writing JavaScript. Well, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not at all. So that's cool. It's, we'll see. Well, the jury's out on I, that one for me. I like, I like it a lot. I, I definitely see the advantages and I will continue to look at it, but yeah. I'm not racing to <laughs> update all my yes. old and, apps. Um, so the next up is Feathers, which is your... Feathers, yes. Yep. yep. My, my sort of little CSS library there for default widgets and that sort of thing. And um, SAS... I use SAS for all of my, my CSS preprocessing. Mm-hmm. I I am I have started to think in SAS. So I'm clearly I've once I got CodeKit working, mm-hmm. I s- immediately started to get annoyed writing CSS that would have been easier to nest. Yeah. So I was like, oh wow, I just turned into a SAS guy right that moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, writing writing out the CSS without without nesting, it's just. <laughs> I find it like my, my default now is to just nest things and then why do it not work? Hmm. Oh, wait. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm writing CSS. Yeah. So I, I am finally, I think, converted over to SAS. So that's, 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 that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in terms of SAS, my favorite uh, sort of mix in library is Bourbon. I prefer it quite a bit to Compass because it's, it's a lot more lightweight and it kind of, kind of thinks more the same way I do mm-hmm. which is largely just personal preference but it's another another lovely bit of uh, of code uh, from Thoughtbot. Mm. Cool. Well, I mean I prefer bourbon to most things so I understand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um I I'm just realizing now how much more difficult my work work as a life would be without um Thoughtbot. So <laughs> <laughs> Ah, there you go. Um, yeah, and then Font Awesome for icon fonts. Yep, a lot of people usually, using Font Awesome. Usually has everything I need. Cool. And that is, is that from Bootstrap originally? 
Yeah, it was. Um, I don't think it was originally made by the Bootstrap people, but it was originally made as an alternative to the glyph icons in Bootstrap. I see. It might have been made by the Bootstrap people. I'm not sure. Or maybe Bootstrap just included it. Or I don't know. It's uh, for in my yeah. mind they're they're adjoined. But... It's it's still not included in Bootstrap. I see. Okay. Never so mind. I feel like they're different people. Yeah. And then uh, jQuery can't can't mm-hmm. not mention jQuery. No. Um, it's you know it's kind of hard to argue with. Uh, it's kind of hard to argue with. To whatever six million yeah. web developers can't be wrong <laughs> right right and you used to be more more opposed to jquery for for mobile development but now with jquery 2 you have a lot more options for compiling it down and getting smaller yep they definitely smaller jquery they definitely that that and also well the phones have gotten better so the memory <laughs> footprint's not as bad there, a lot of things have kind of swayed me back into the jquery camp uh, but I don't, it's not my default, but if I'm going to use a JavaScript library, um, I, it will, it's almost all, you know, for, for that kind of stuff, like Ajax, et cetera. I'm just like, oh, I'll yeah. just use jQuery. It's right. You know, it's, it does make cross-platform debugging a lot easier. It's like, I've been bitten by stupid stuff, like IE reporting window height differently. It's just like dumb little <laughs> things. Um, and you can, you can scritch it down if you need to, but I've <clears throat> uh, never actually used Zeptel on anything. I just don't. If I'm going to nah. do something like that, I'm going to use jQuery. Yep, same and here. I absolutely love the way you write jQuery plugins. It's just so great um, the way they're encapsulated. So there, there are a lot of advantages to jQuery from a, a code, long-term code maintenance slash debugging standpoint. Yep. Um, but it, you know what it doesn't do? Doesn't do templating. No, there are a couple of jQuery. There's a jQuery template plugin that I've, and I used it once, and it was it was okay. But I like MarkupJS a lot, and I know I knew you have a fondness for Mustache, but I've been using Markup a lot lately, and I like it a lot. Yeah, I like I Markup a lot. lot. I just said a lot, a lot. That was a lot of a lot. It was a lot of a lot. <laughs> I do. I, I really like it too. You you used it extensively on uh, Hue Panel. So people I can take it, a look I at that. I used it on, yep. I used it on Hue Panel, and um, uh, I, I first used it on a, on an app that I had to get rid of Knockout on. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> ouch! Yeah, burn. So markup is cool. It's like mustache, but with a little bit of logic, like display logic, mm-hmm. which I don't mind. I don't mind the display logic in there. It's very, very similar to mustache, though. Yep. Uh, so big fan. Also, I'm also a big fan of Launch Air, but yes. I have never used it in an really? actual project. Yeah, I have. Um, I've only got one app that I'm using it on right now, but I'm using it very extensively in that app. Um, uh. So yeah, if you need to do any kind of any kind of complicated sort of sort of JSON store, then mm-hmm. or any kind of complicated query, it basically basically gives you a query query API, you know, a query API. For, for your JSON data. Cool. Yeah, it's from Brian LaRue. Great stuff. Awesome code. Uh, it's got all different adapters, so you can make it as... You can you can decide where on the scale you want to land between kind of adaptive or optimized. Uh, yeah. It's a brilliant piece of code. Very elegant. Uh, I have never had real need of it, though, because I usually just use local storage and app cache. Occasionally, SQL 
Web SQL database, but hardly yep. ever. Yeah. So yeah, if you need something a little bit more industrial strength than local storage, then check out LaunchAir.js. Moving right along. Mm -hmm. I have gone back and forth in the last six months or so between different PHP frameworks and going to Rails and back and forth and Sinatra and trying all the different things. And um, I'm just settling on Coderniter. It's, uh, you, you even tried to kind of talk me back into it. Uh, we were talking about Laravel. And yeah. you're like, I don't know, you know, it seems like it's really heavily dependent on Passenger. And um, composer. A composer, right? Passenger's totally not the <laughs> same thing. thing. Yeah. <laughs> and <clears throat> Coderniter just, it's pretty great. It is pretty great. Uh, built yeah, in, in, in terms of PHP frameworks, I mean, I know it's, it's not quote unquote the best, but it's my favorite one to use. Exactly. Right. And for the kind of stuff I'm building it, and honestly, I built, I still use my own roll your own junk for the actual web apps because I want to do sort of like non-standard stuff with them. That, mm -hmm. that was my thing with Ruby on rails is like, I don't, it doesn't want me to do something different. Yeah. So if it, which is fine. If you don't want it, if you're not going to do something different then Ruby on rails is like hands down the winner. But if you mm -hmm. want to do anything that DHH thinks is dumb, then you can't, <laughs> you like can't use it. You, you lose yeah. every benefit of, of using it. Yeah. It's, it's very opinionated and it always has been, and it makes no apologies for yeah. being so. Right. Yeah. They're totally upfront about that. But for me, CodeIgniter, plus I'm a, P, you know, I'm a PHP guy. So like, you know, to be in the language is very familiar. And uh, I used it a couple of days ago, I don't know, last week or something to create an API, just banged it out super fast, wicked easy. Uh, even it, it, you know, we've, we've been on other, we've used like Symfony. We've, we've forced to deal with Symfony on a project. I've used Slim a couple of times for APIs. Don't even, don't even bother. We've, we've actually the two of us and well uh we you know we've we've built some some pretty large and and heavy duty apis with codeigniter hmm. it's great i found a i don't know if you use this if we've used this in the past but um there is like a rest uh i don't know if it's called a plugin i don't know what the word is but there's a rest library for codeigniter mm -hmm. and you like I don't, I don't think i've used it yeah you just drop in one file and like bang you're done Nice. Yeah, it's awesome. It's really, really easy. Um, and, it, you know, it's for a REST server. And then you uh, can, you know, it's not a REST client, but. Right. Uh, it's, it's, I have decided to stop thinking about it. CodeIgniter cool. is the PHP framework for me. Cool. I can, I can get behind that. Nice. Uh can't talk about frameworks and libraries without mentioning Modernizer. This is true, and I have recently, I've started using it more. I use it on literally everything. Yeah. There is not a project I work on that's not mobile uh, or responsive in some way. I can't think of it. Maybe a, extremely rare exceptions. Everything I work on is mobile that I'm coding, I should say. And yeah. there's no reason not to use Modernizer. I even use a, 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 a something called Modernizer Server, which works on the server side. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, even if I don't use the entire file and I just use snippets from it, I always have Modernizer in some way. Yeah. 
yeah, when I when I started working on the doing doing some some additional work under code for the the Entertainment Weekly stuff, it, was, it immediately became clear why Modernizer was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy good. You know, it's just super super clever client side feature detection. Uh, unless you use Modernizer Server, and then it uses like uh, a refresh to set a cookie and send the feature detection to the server side so you can send on different HTML or something like that if you have to. Yep. It's just super clever, super smart people working on it. You you can't, you're literally, you just can't, it's dumb to not use it. <laughs> so there you go. There you go. My, yeah. humble, my humble opinion. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, PhoneGap okay. build, just give this a quick, quick mention. PhoneGap... Uh, is not great for everything, but it's great for many, many things. Mm -hmm. uh, if you are built, if you're a web developer who needs to either be in an be in the app stores or needs to get some light API device API access, like to push notifications or the camera or um, God, I don't know what uh, the music library. Jeez, what's not accessible to the browser anymore? A few things. Uh, then you should be looking into PhoneGap, a.k.a. Apache Cordova. And there is a tool that makes it ridiculously simple to use PhoneGap, which is uh, PhoneGap Build, which is available at build.phonegap.com. And it is, it, it just is so ridiculously worth the money. You get, uh, you could do a, a one project for free and all public projects for, are for free. So mm -hmm. the only time you have to pay for it is if you're doing private projects, which means you probably have a client or you're planning to make some money off of this thing. So, and the, and last time I checked it was like $9 a month for 20 oh, wow. private apps. It's, it's yeah, super if, cheap. If you do, if you do a lot of phone gap development, it's definitely worth it. Oh yeah. Cause it, so not to get too deep into it. Um, when you build a phone gap application, you write HTML, CSS and JavaScript, and then you compile it down to native, binaries for all the different platforms. There's like seven or eight different mobile platforms that it compiles for. And <clears throat> if you're going to do that locally, which is the free way to do it, the completely free way to do it, you have to install the development environments for all of those platforms. So like we're talking Xcode and the Android SDK and whatever Windows is using these days and Symbian and on down the line. And you can't even do all that on one machine. You need at least, uh, well, on one OS, you need at least two different OSs to do all of them. So it's far, far better to just upload your your HTML files and just sit back while it, it does all the work in the cloud. The power of the cloud put to work for yes. you. And then you just click yes. on the link fact, and there's your app. I'm in fact I'm just looking here um, to see, I believe if you have if you have an Adobe Creative Cloud subscription, I believe you get yeah. Uh, you probably so, do. Yep, yeah, that's probably true. I'm, I'm logging in right now to check. So you could, so for example, you could take QPanel and just all those files are pure AJAX files, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. You don't have any, uh, there's no server side, there's no like Ruby or PHP on the server, like, right? Right. So you could uh, just. No, yeah, there is. There's Sinatra on the server. Well, that's that's the service. Yeah, but you're talking to that with Ajax. I'm talking to it with Ajax, and I mean, I'm I'm serving the static files with Sinatra, but you know, 
don't have to be. Yeah, I'm talking. You know, I'm talking to it with Ajax. I see what you mean. Yeah. So if you so if you just took the static version of those files because it's just like it's like one right. HTML file, a CSS file, and a JavaScript file, right? Right. So if you just took those three files, the generated ones, and uh, uploaded them to PhoneGap Build, you could have like an iOS and an Android app in ten minutes. Yeah. And it would be free because it's an open source project. Yep. Uh, so cool. And then you could have the joy of submitting to the iTunes app store. <laughs> uh, I think I'll just like, you know, people can just go to hughpound.com. Exactly. Um, okay. So uh, I had to get a plug in for myself here. Uh, Fast active. I, I, it's, it's a fair plug because I actually do use it on everything. It is. I used it on a new, on a project tonight. Yeah, it's like a. I feel like I can say that every day. <laughs> that you used it on a project tonight. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, fast active, just a little JavaScript snippet that makes application web apps feel more responsive and more native. I love it. I, I I'm super happy with the way that came out. <clears throat> yeah, for for such a. It's a, a, a teeny tiny bit of code that, yeah, it works works really well in yeah. terms of make, making things feel faster. Yeah, it's less than half a K. Yeah. It's like 400B. <laughs> right. So, uh, cool. And we're almost to the end. This is a long yeah. episode, but I think it's a fun one. I'm having fun. I am too. I think it shows. Number 12. No, I, I don't know what number we're on. I don't either. But Nine I or 10. I figured we had, to, we had to talk about hosting. It's, a, it's something we are dealing with on a daily basis, something that we have put a lot of research into. And the dear listener will know that we use AWS extensively, uh, also Linode, and I think we've mentioned DigitalOcean before. I think we have, yeah. Um, but specifically on AWS, the stuff we're using, because there's a ton of stuff we're using, <laughs> there's uh, sorry there's a ton of stuff there of which I, at least I'm only using a subset but uh EC2 constantly using it S3 constantly using it RDS if if there if I could only use one thing on AWS it would be RDS yes and RDS now supports postgres ah is that right yes you're such a fan of postgres i am it's precious <laughs> 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 Postgres and CoffeeScript and I know, yeah, I know and Ruby. I, I'm such a, such a programming hipster or something. Just wait till I leapfrog you. I'm gonna go straight to Node.js and CouchDB, and then you're gonna wish you were cool <laughs> like me. Yeah, I'm gonna shard yeah. things. I'm gonna have shards <laughs> Mongo all over the place. MongoDB is web scale. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite video. Oh, I love the internet. I just really do. <laughs> oh, my God. Now I'm derailed. I love that video. I want to watch it right now. Yeah. Oh, I got to. All right. I got to pull it back. We'll link to it in the show notes. MongoDB is web scale, babies. Um, okay. So let's let's keep rolling here. Um <clears throat> Oh, one thing I, I what do you who do you use for your most of your domain name registration? Uh, most I usually just use Namecheap. I know you use Hover. I use Hover. I just love their interface, but I I'm starting to it's starting to grate on my nerves that they haven't gotten around to a mobile 
friendly, responsive web design. That really bugs mm. me. Yeah, you you may also want to mention um, you've recently started using uh, Route fifty three. Yes, good point. Um, recently, and this is going to sound kind of ironic because I'm advocating Hover, but they their name servers went down like a week ago. It happens to everybody even now sometimes. And yeah, it's uh, it, and I was it was confusing at first, uh, but. I switched. So after, uh, while that was happening, I switched over to um, Route 53, which is Amazon's DNS thingy, name server thingy. <laughs> Offering. Offering, yeah. Uh, so it's incredibly simple. It's probably of all the things on AWS that I've experienced learning curve wise, it is the easiest. Yeah. Um, if there's anything complicated about it, it's just. DNS in general and like knowing how <laughs> yeah. it works, but, uh, super happy with it. I'm always, it's always nice. I always like having, um, you know, you, it's like, there's, there's a certain, like, don't keep all your eggs in one basket kind of concept, but I really do like to avoid having stuff sprinkled all over services all over the internet because I lose them. <laughs> so, right. Right. You, you sent know. me a message the other day, like, where is Avelio? Where's Avelio <laughs> hosted? I can't find, like, I can, I've been using it, but I don't know where it is. Like, I've lost a server. <laughs> yeah. So, we found it, thankfully. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, I'm a big fan. So, I set it up there, and it, it propagates, like, instantaneously. That's another nice thing. It's like you like you're pressing save and your browser refreshes and it's the new site. It's like ridiculous. <laughs> so that's nice. Live refresh on DNS propagation. Time to live three hundred milliseconds. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, I've been meaning to ask you: Is it time to live or time to live? Time to live. My brother says time to live, and I was gonna goof Brother's on him. Wrong. Huh? Your brother's wrong. But how do you know how it's pronounced? Well, because it's the amount of time until the changes go live. But couldn't you also think it's the time, it's how long the cache should live? Stop that. I know. I was going to goof on him. Then I was like, oh, no, he might have a point. <laughs> <laughs> no, I still say he's wrong. Let's stick with time to live. That's what I yeah. thought it was. That's how I read it. We'll, we'll, we'll go for my brother. <laughs> Yeah, because when you when you set up a new domain, like for instance, when I go into Linode's DNS manager, I can select the the time to live, which will be you know how many minutes until. Yeah, don't, I mean, don't think about it. Yeah, don't. No, think about no, it. I'm not because I go could be way. setting the time to. Yeah. No, it's Screw like my it. my sister is a. Screw P it, he's wrong. Yeah, exactly. That's how you gotta go. You gotta knee jerk it. Gotta knee jerk yeah. it. It's like it's like GIF GIF. You just gotta knee jerk it. Yeah. It's like wait. It's like if you my sister is a PhD and. And she, she comes up with stuff like, she asks questions like, is shooting fish in a barrel hard or easy? Because it seems really hard to me. She's like, what's that supposed to mean? <laughs> I'm like, shooting, I think shooting fish in a barrel means easy. She's like, I don't know. That seems really hard. That would be hard. It's so. like a, a, as opposed to shooting fish out of a barrel. Not just like shooting fish in general. Shooting fish in general might be hard, but shooting fish in a barrel would be harder than shooting fish that aren't in a barrel. She's like, is taking candy from a baby hard or easy? Because babies love candy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you need another degree. 
in <laughs> in like colloquialisms. Yeah, this is anyway. This this sounds like trying to have a conversation with Wyatt. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like overthink central. Yeah. So uh, she's awesome, but man, some of the questions. So okay, so <laughs> we're gonna we are we are in the the uh, what's it called? Home stretch. The home stretch. That's exactly what I was thinking. I, I was gonna say force march to hell, but no. Home stretch. And in fact, we can blast through this because this stuff we, I just sort of tacked on at the end as like sort of honorable mentions. Mm-hmm. So let's just plow. So the okay. the next category is project management and communications. And the reason why I f- wanted to add this in is because it takes up a major portion of my day. And I think yours too. Yeah. Where I am, <clears throat> you just have to deal with this stuff. It's like part of the job uh, and it's easy to ignore. So Google apps, love it, top to bottom, use everything. Um, calendars, sick. G- the, the mail is sick. Docs is sick. Oh. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, we're, we're looking at a doc right now. So. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. I don't know why anybody would use anything <laughs> else. I mean, yeah, they're spying on us, big deal. Yeah, I got, um, when I got this new, new iMac, I never did put Office on it. No, I tell I tell people when people send me a Word document, I go, oh, could you send me that as a PDF because I don't have any Microsoft Office products on my machine. Yeah. I'm not putting them on. Right. Uh, so so Google Apps, amazing, just totally amazing. Uh, Basecamp, totally amazing. Uh, it doesn't. It it's one of those things. Of course, it's from Thirty Seven Signals. It's very opinionated. It, it doesn't have some features you might want. I don't care. It's what you need. It's like. Yeah, it, it's it's gonna suck if you have cataracts. Oh, this is the contrast. Yeah. Yeah. There's but gotta, I no longer do, so there you go. So yeah, why blame Basecamp? Right. Get your eyes fixed. <laughs> so Basecamp, uh they finally after after a long time have mobile a, a really nice mobile experience. They oh, have nice. unified login. They it's 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 like it's not the most feature. It's the perfect balance of project communication uh, for everything we do. So yeah, you know. If I wasn't going to use Basecamp, and if I didn't love Basecamp and GitHub so much, I'd be using Codebase. But I love Basecamp and GitHub, so I'm not using Codebase. But isn't Codebase like uh, so? There, there's some other sort of agile-based project managements where you've got. Uh, you know the what's it called cold storage or whatever the like the the what's it called is that what you're talking about yeah code code base is like a mashup between basecamp classic and github it's yeah. got like project management and and some time tracking and like repository management and you know you can you can have issue tracker and yeah there's there's tons of it's big nice. Jira it's nice and there's a lot of them out there, but you know. Yeah, so uh, first impressions with Jira, I'm I'm not not impressed, but too it's too many, it's too much. Yeah, yeah, but um, code, code base I actually do like if you're looking for a for a an, an everything in one box solution. Hmm. It's not too developery. Uh no, I don't think so. Hmm. Okay, well that's good advice. 
Um, all right. So also on this list is Skype, which sort of goes without saying, but I suppose it's worth mentioning. Um, yeah. Skype, it's surprising how many customers are comfortable with Skype. It's great for conference calls. Uh, it's really made inroads with normal people. And yeah. obviously get IM for free. You can do some light screen sharing, but if anything bigger than light screen sharing, I use Join Me, which is freaking great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and actually, lately, lately I've been using um, less Skype and more Google Hangouts, but that's not not because of my own preferences. It's just what other people that I'm working with happen to be using. Yeah, I, I personally prefer Skype, but I have been using Google Hangouts a lot too. So the only thing I don't like about Skype is there's it's. The, like getting your Skype logs is really difficult. Um, you have to like use a SQLite database thing and hack it to get yeah. get your logs out of there, which is really lame. Yeah. But um, but yeah. So if you need to do a a fair amount of screen sharing, you want something that is drop dead simple. Uh, go to join.me and get your free account. It's awesome. Yeah, I like it a lot. Another thing I do a lot with this is this is a pro tip. This is I think worth mentioning. Uh, it is incredibly useful to when you, especially when you're in like uh, design review or you're, you're either I'm sending code to someone to review or someone's sending code to me to review and I'm debugging or or what do you call it like QA testing kind right. of. Uh, I don't bother writing anything up. I just record myself using the thing. Yeah, and, I started I started doing that after you mentioned it. And it's just amazing how much better that works. It works way better and it's way easier. Yeah. So, uh, it, and a lot of times it's funny. Like I'll, I'll finish something, I, I get push, I'm done. I do the, I start to do this. I use, the point is that I use ScreenFlow for this. Uh, it's a paid app. You could use QuickTime, but QuickTime creates gigantic files. Um, ScreenFlow is really, really good. Totally worth the money. Gives you some great editing features, but very simple and Mac-like. Uh, but ScreenFlow, I'll go and record a video and be like, "Oh crap!" You know, I, I missed some stuff. It's almost like it forces you to go through a um, a round of your own debugging, even after you yeah. think you're done. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's another another so, benefit there. Yes, it's really, really good. And then when you're done. You can send it to people. Oh, I forgot to put on this list Cloud App. Uh, a lot of times I'll upload the final video to Cloud App, and then that gives me a link that uh, I send because the, the videos are usually they're compressed yeah. and they're small-ish, but they're usually too big to email. So um, I'll use Cloud App to host it and just send the link to people, and then they can they can review it. They can use it as documentation later. They can share it with other people on their team later. This is how this thing works. Uh, this is what you should expect. Um, I do all my YouTube videos in ScreenFlow. It's it's a fantastic piece of software. Yep. Closely related to this uh, is Reflector, which <clears throat> if the thing that I am trying to record or demo is something that needs to be done or executed on a device, there's an application called Reflector.app that uh, basically air shares from your phone to your desktop so I can do a screen flow of my desktop and actually show my live phone. Nice, because I've, I've wanted to do that several times. Yep. Super, super good. On um, The only downside of using Reflector is you can't physically see the finger or like what the person's touching. You just see how the app mm-hmm. is reacting. Uh, so for that, I use a webcam pointed at my desk and just, you know, I just launch QuickTime and point it at the thing and don't actually record it. In QuickTime, right. I just use my webcam to look at the desk. Right. 
Uh, yeah, so that's that's all project management and communications. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, sort of honorable mentions slash other category. Yes. Uh, you mentioned Font Awesome earlier. I use the Noun Project a lot to get SVG icons. Yeah, yeah, I do that too. And actually, actually, now that you mention it, I have been known to go to the Noun Project and get uh, SVGs, and then go to Icon or Icomoon and and create um, icon fonts out of SVGs from the Noun Project. Oh, cool. Very cool. There's lots of options in the Noun Project for how you compensate the yes uh, creators. It's it's pretty cool. I, I I I usually just buy stuff. Yeah, that's what it's easier. They're super cheap. It's like a buck. Yeah. Um, I their website is super annoying. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Simple Scott. I love you, but the website is so overwrought. Um, yeah. It's gorgeous, like show off for your other web developer friends type of website. <laughs> I just need to search and download. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Anyway, um, so that is a very good site to go to if you need SVG icons, and you probably do. Um, another thing that is that comes up surprisingly often is MailChimp and also Mandrill. Uh, MailChimp is a really good uh, list manager. I also love Campaign Monitor. Monitor, I love those guys. Uh, check out both of them, but MailChimp seems to be coming up more and more often with client work. And Mandrill is their sort of transactional database system, which uh, email system, which would be comparable to SES in Amazon Web Services. So those two things, if you're dealing with uh, email campaigns or you're sending out like password reset emails, uh, it's worth checking out both of those things. Uh, Moom. Uh, I have to mention Moom because every time I do a screencast, everybody asks me, what was that thing that you were using? And the answer is <laughs> Moom. <laughs> yeah. Moom is this little widget that you install in the OS that uh, that allows you to resize your finder windows and application windows to a specific, precise size. You can also do things like tile them and yep. that sort of thing, could you? Yep. So if you are a control freak about the way your windows are set up, you will <laughs> fall in love with Moom. Um, what do you use to launch your apps on your desktop or your laptop? Uh, I use Quicksilver. Really? Yeah. That's so retro. I know. I've just never bothered to upgrade. Yeah. I gave up and started using Spotlight. Did you? Yeah. 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 So I was curious about that, but I use, I use Spotlight 150 times a day probably. (laughs) Yeah. So that's another thing I wanted to mention. Um, couple of things I want to mention on the mobile front. Uh, I use VNC Viewer on my phones to remotely access my desktops on my on my laptops mm-hmm. um, to do. And I, I do actually edit sometimes, edit code or, uh, you know, like Amazon Web Services has no mobile interface. So a lot of times it's easier to just VNC into a machine and do things there. Yeah. Uh, prompt from... Um, Panic, same company that makes Transmit. It makes a great command line interface for iOS. Uh, you can uh, SSH into your server on the iPhone. With, it's just excellent. It's amazing. Uh, they have custom keyboards that make it really easy to get around in the terminal. Yeah, I, I've used this. and I have it, and I don't need to use it often, but I do. I, I quite like it. I use it surprisingly often. I use it once a week, at least. Yeah, you're, you're out and about a lot more than I am. Yep, yeah, and they have an iPod, iPad, 
sort of companion called uh, Diet Coda, which yeah. is amazing. Um, if you, if you, I don't know why you would have the need to frequently edit files on a web server from your iPad, but if you do, you cannot do better than buying Diet Coda. It is amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Coda itself, but on an iPad, Diet Coda is, is the way to go if you find yourself, for some reason, doing that sort of stuff on an iPad. Yeah, I'm not a fan of Coda either on the desktop, but on the iPad, Diet Coda is exactly what you need. Uh, and then, <clears throat> finally, Redis. Redis, yes. Yes. So we didn't mention, we talked about Postgres and SQLite and MySQL earlier. Yeah, I guess we should have mentioned this up. We could have mentioned this up with the databases. Yeah, so what do you, th how often have you used Redis? I know you just used it for uh, Hue Panel, but. Um, I've used it actually quite a bit on, on small personal projects. And I think I've only had one or two, one or two client things where I've used it. But I've I have a number of, a number of personal projects, and not not all of them web based, that I that I've used Redis for. So it's a NoSQL database. Yes, it's a, a key value store. Right, and I've seen the you know you sort of we were, we were talking about using DynamoDB, which is Amazon's NoSQL offering, or one of them. Mm -hmm. And uh, they also have another one called SimpleDB, but it seems like that's kind of that's kind of like withering on the vine in, in place of DynamoDB. And <clears throat> I mean, Red, the the Redis syntax is ridiculously easy compared to DynamoDB anyway. So yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, I I love how simple Redis is. Yeah, I'm I am starting to dabble my toes into this NoSQL concept for some of the applications I'm working on. But I'm so I'm feeling myself getting pulled in the direction of using a hosted service for these uh, instead of dealing with installation and stuff. Um, most yeah, of the yeah, the, the oh, that's another thing. The Redis install is really simple. Is it? Yeah. Mm, that's tempting. And is it any dependencies? Like, what does it depend on? It's like Erlang, yeah. isn't it? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I think it. Yeah, I think it might be. But no, there's there's no dependencies. Um, and if you have Ubuntu, you can just install it from the package manager and, really? and start it, and that's that. Wow, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, I mean, there's more configuration you can do if you want to get like more granular control over saving to disk and all that stuff. But and it like starts a server, and you just hit a port, and bang, it's there. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's pretty sweet. Well, I have a blog post that every time I Google about. NoSQL databases, I always get the same blog post back. <laughs> so we will link to that in the show notes. And it's kind of a comparison chart of the various options, what they're good for, what they're not good for, their history. Uh, it's really good. It's nice. So if people are interested in that sort of thing, they can check it out. Uh, but I think, I think we've made, we've reached the finish line. I think we have. Awesome. So this I'm looking at the clock and I cannot believe how long we've been talking because it doesn't really feel like it. Hopefully we haven't lost all the, hopefully we haven't lost the dear listener. I hope I not. So lots of links, this show, lots of, lots of tools to use. I can't believe how many tools we use. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And I, I apologize for being so far from the mic for the majority of the episode. I was reading the list. <laughs> <laughs> no, that sounded fine. All right. Well, that is our show for this week, dear listener. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we hope you join us again next week for the Niche Podcast. Bye. Bye. <laughs>